let us pray. We are your children, and we bow before you. We bow our heads, but spiritually we, we bow before you because you are our God. You are the one that brought us together through your Holy Spirit. You are the one that started a journey with us many, many years ago for most of us when we heard your voice. And Lord, this journey is now continuing every single day. Lord, we live in a world that's not that easy to accommodate with our faith. We live in a world that constantly wants to remind us that being a Christian is not the coolest thing anymore. It's not acceptable. Because what we believe is so contraculture. That's why, Lord, I believe with all my heart that you knew that we needed to come together at least weekly. Where we can look each other in the eye and know I'm not alone. There are other people that also believe like I do. To know that I have brothers and sisters in Jesus, family members that will pray for me and help me and help all of us stay strong in a world that can easily wash over us and push us down. But we also came together, O oh Lord, to hear from you that you are here and that you care and that you will be with us in the midst of all of this. So, Lord, as we came to, to celebrate our family in you, but also then to learn from you, I ask that through your Spirit, you will do the work in us that only you can do. I ask this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. You know, when I was a kid, <clears throat> I had this illustrated Bible uh, with all these amazing pictures about the different stories in the Bible. But then the story of Jonah had a picture that I as a kid even sort of wondered about a little bit, and it's this picture. I think it was this one, as I can remember. Jonah <laughs> sitting in the well. Look at the ribs. Jonah with a little table, a candle on the table, his little door, and actually a laundry line in the back. And there's even a little boat in the back. And there's a little thingy here on the side with a lamp. And I remember as a kid even, when I looked at this, I thought to myself, this can't be true. This can't be true. This is really ridiculous. This is crazy that this is there. How can Jonah be in the belly of a fish and it looks like this? I've seen how they, when they cut open fishes, how the stomachs look. Maybe this is the problem. You see, the story of Jonah is an amazing story. It's a story of suspense, of this guy that is called to go on a mission, you know. And then he goes in the opposite direction, and then the guy who sent him is after him. And he's trying all kinds of ways to get him back on mission. And then eventually, you know, there's this ship, and there's this storm, and then eventually a card game, you know, and eventually the card shows it's this guy. And uh, Man, it's like a James Bond story. But then the story changes a little bit. The story changes, uh, but the Lord provided, they, they threw it overboard, but the Lord provided a large fish to swallow up Jonah. Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. That's, fish, that's in chapter 2. Then the Lord spoke to the fish and it spewed Jonah out upon dry land. Actually, in Hebrew it says, the fish vomited him out. Ay, 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 ay. What a whale of a story this is. 
That is the problem, I think, many times. People read the story and they say, now, now you've lost me. <coughs> now you've lost me. <coughs> Sorry for a moment. <coughs> now I've lost you. Um, you've lost me. This was a great story, but how can I believe this rubbish? A fish that swallows a guy, a whale, and now he lives three days in his belly and then he vomits out and he can continue to do his work. Ferdy. Ferdy. How do you want me to believe these things? Aren't you a rational guy like I am? How do I answer this? I answer this by the following. And let me, let me before we read this, let's go back for a moment. I answer it by saying it's about God. It's about God. The problem with us as humans is that we have created a God that's very small. You know, we... we we look at Jesus and he's lying in a manger and, and, and uh, everybody comes and bows before him and he's a little baby. So we look at God as this baby and then later on he's a child and then he walks around and then he's crucified. He's so human. He's so, he so seems so powerless and then we hear that he, he rose from the dead, whatever. But all of these stories sound as if, you know, the Lord God is like Jesus. You know, a little bit powerless because at some point all kinds of stuff happened with him and he's maybe like one of us. But that's not, the guy, that's not the God that I discover in the Bible. I honestly want to ask all of you, and I've said this many times. One evening when it's really dark and no full moon, just walk away from your house and try to get away from all the light pollution we have in our city. And just stand outside and look at the sky. And look at the stars. Except for eight and the moon. All the others are suns, like the sun that's shining outside now or galaxies that has hundreds of millions of suns. And I always, when I look at the sky, remind myself how small our little planet is that we run around. You can now fly around our planet within <coughs> 18 hours, 24 hours maybe. You can be anywhere in the world within 24 hours if you, if you get on a flight. That's how small our planet is. And now I look at the sky and I realize, but God made all of this. This is the God that I actually worship. This is the God of the Bible. This is the God who owns everything. He, the Bible tells me he created the sun and the moon with his hands, man. This is the God that I believe in. Here in Job, we find the following. And the Lord said to Job, shall a fault finder content with the Almighty? Anyone who argues with God must respond. Then Job answered the Lord, See, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. I have spoken once and I will not answer. Twice, but will proceed no further. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind. Gird up your loins like a man, man. I will question you and you declare to me. Will you even put me in the wrong? Will you condemn me that you may be justified? Have you an arm like God and can you thunder with a voice like this? Can you draw out Levitian with a fish hook or press down its tongue with a cord? Can you put a rope in its nose or pierce its jaw with a hook? To understand fully what the Lord is saying to Job here, you need to actually start in, in chapter 38. The most astounding piece of literature, I think, personally in the Bible, in the Old Testament. Where God comes and he says to Job, were you there when I laid the foundations of the mountain? Were you there when I, 
when I started the springs that bring forth the rivers? Were you there when I created in the heavens the possibility of snow? Were you there? And then God continues and continues about all the things that he has done. He said to Job, you have no idea who I am. The problem is, if you have a small God, you have a small prayer life. You see, if I have a small God, and I don't really believe that God can answer my prayers, do I? Because is God really as powerful as I hope he is, or is he not? I believe in a big God. I believe in a God that can do whatever he wants. I believe in a God that can create this fish, or can provide a fish that can swallow Jonah. If that is God's will, I believe with all my heart God can do this. And therefore, I believe that if I pray in the name of Jesus, this God that owns the universe can change my life, your life, and the environment and the world around us. If I believe in a small God, I will live outside of this church as if I have a small God, a little bit uncertain, a little bit unsure about my life and who I am. If I believe in a big God, I will walk tall because I know I'm owned by the only holy living God that can do whatever He wants because He said He's the creator of heaven and earth. Our God. So when people start to question the story of Jonah, I will say, let's start with God. Because I believe that my God can do whatever he wants. And if he wants to provide a fish for Jonah, he can because he's God. The second thing, a whale. Now everybody knows that it's Jonah and the whale. And we know the story of Jonah and the whale. Where did we get that? There's no reference in the Bible about a whale. There's a reference of a big fish in Hebrew. And then in Matthew, when the Lord, and I'll get to that later on, when, when the Lord talks about this whole story of Jonah, he says, the sea monster, and the word he uses is what I just read here in Job, the Levidian. And the Levidian in the old days was seen as this huge monster that lived in the ocean that everybody feared, but God says, I control. The problem is that People saw, okay, big fish, so what fish can it be? It must be a whale. Somebody even wrote in a commentary, it must be a blue whale. There are no whales in the Mediterranean. But we try to get the answer with our current knowledge and understanding of, of zoology and of the oceans and all this stuff. We come up with an answer and we say, okay, it was Jonah and the whale. It's a big fish. When I read this, I realized... We do not do, only do this with a whale. We do it with other things also. So what we did was, the Bible says big fish. We said, oh no, it's a whale. A guy said, oh, a blue whale. And it's actually a guy that's writing a commentary on this book. Now the world comes and says, but there aren't any whales in the Mediterranean. So now, as a Christian, I'm in trouble because I'm adding to the scripture that's not there. Now I now need to defend myself to this world, and I actually have nothing to say to them. You know, do you know how many times, in, especially in the recent years, people in the church came and they added to Scripture what's not there. They took away in Scripture what should be there. Because they are trying to align Scripture with our current knowledge of life and culture. We need to make this thing work in some way, shape, or form so the world can in some way understand the story. So it's a well, it's a big fish. I need to make this what the Lord says about sexuality and all kinds of stuff. 
acceptable to the culture that we now live in. So I go and I change the text or ignore the text. And then I stand in trouble before the world because they say, well, there's no difference between you and us anymore, is there? I don't mind if people say it's a whale. Honestly, to be honest with you, I, I, I grew up, it's Jonah and the whale. But actually the Bible tells me it's a fish. The person of Jonah. So, because this is such a complicated book in some way, I've, I've heard in our church even, no, not this church, but in our denomination, I've heard people say, well, they don't think Jonah is a real person. Maybe this whole story was written as an allegory. Maybe the story is a very long parable. You know, maybe the story is, is a folklore. It's a story that started off in the days of Israel. You know, and there was a guy, maybe a little bit, you know, and he was something, okay, or not, I don't know. But they added to the story somewhat so that we now have this story in the Bible that's really there as an illustration, as sort of a reflection of what we need to know about God and love and grace and, and, and witness and all these kinds of things. I don't think we should take this too seriously that there was a historical person, Jonah. Then I started to scratch my head because in 2 Kings it says, in the 15th year of King Amaziah, son of Joash of Judah, King Jerobeam, son of Joash of Israel, began to reign in Samaria. He reigned 41 years. This is part of the whole history story. They sort of gave us all these lists of kings and what they did. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and he did not depart from all the sins of Jerobeam, son of Nebat, which he caused Israel to sin. He restored the borders of Israel, the border of Israel from Lebanon, as far as the Sea of the Arabah, according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke by his servant Jonah, son of Amittai, the prophet who was from Gath Hefer. Jonah, not a real person, but the book of Kings that gives us a a historical outline of all the kings and all the prophets says there was Jonah. Oh, and by the way, then some of the scribes and Pharisees said to Jesus, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but no sign will be given to you except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so for three days and three nights the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth. Jesus and Jonah. The sign of Jonah. So what happened here with Jesus? Let's move on just a little bit for a moment. So Jesus is with all his disciples. He's doing his ministry and whatever. And then these scribes and Pharisees always were bugging Jesus. They wanted to prove him wrong. They tried their best to show that he was a person of that's not really trustworthy. Now they come to him and they say, you need to show us another sign. He has done countless of signs up until this point. Many different wonders and miracles has been done by Jesus. But now they say, we want a sign that we can believe because, you know, we are important enough that you should have something special for us. And then the Lord comes and he says, the only sign I will give you is the sign of Jonah. What did Jonah do to be a sign? Jonah was a prophet, as Jesus is. Jonah was sent 
to bring the gospel to a group of people. That's what Jesus came to do. Jonah was, dis was, was disobedient. Je Christ was never disobedient. But in the journey of Jonah, it happened that he ended up in the darkest of the pits of death. And we'll talk about this next week. While he was in the, in the ship, it wasn't like he was sitting there doing all kinds of fun. Next week, we're going to read this poem that he wrote while he was actually a prayer, while he was sitting in this darkness, when he was experiencing really the darkness of death for three days. Jesus said, as Jonah went into this dark place, this, this, this place of separation almost with God, this is what we'll find out in that thing that Jonah wrote, so the Son of Man will also be in this almost place of separation from God. Why do you want another sign? Why do you want another sign? You see, the stories of the Old Testament is like the shadow of the cross lying over the Old Testament. All the stories in the Old Testament sort of point towards Christ because everything that happened there actually was fulfilled when Jesus came. Every single person that got saved in the Old Testament got saved because of Jesus. Even though he was not yet born, did not yet die, if Christ did not die on the cross and rose from the dead, no one in the Old Testament could be saved. Can't. Can't. Because all the stories in the Old Testament point towards one thing that needs to happen. The Messiah needs to come. The Messiah needs to die. This, this price needs to be paid for the sin of humankind. And Christ is looking at these folks and they are trying to play this religious game with him. And he stands before them and he says, you guys have no idea how serious in trouble you guys are if you do not accept the message of God, the voice of God that's coming to you. You want more stuff. I'm standing in front of you. The Word of God, the Messiah, the Old Testament stories are proving all the things that I've done shows that I am the one. I'm the only answer. Although he had performed so many signs in their presence, they did not believe in him. That's to me the weirdest thing. Jonah in a fish. Jonah in a bubble. Jonah in the hands of God. Jonah in a whale. I don't care. I just know one thing for sure is that when these people tossed Jonah overboard, God was there for him, and God took care of him, and God in some way, shape, or form provided for this man to be under the water for three days, and then eventually he used a fish to spit him out on dry land. I believe that the God that could, can throw a storm, uh, I, I said this to you a few weeks ago, he hurled the storm on that ship. A God that can throw a storm like a ball on, this, on, the, on, on the ocean He's a God that can do anything. He's a God that can calm a storm. He's a God that can cause a storm. He's a God that in His Son can walk on water that no one else can do. And they still did not believe. They still did not believe. You see, the question is not the, the miracle. The question is not the story. The question is God. That's the question. This morning when I had my new membership class, you know, I always say to people when we do our first class, I start with the gospel because I want everybody that's part of our church to understand the gospel in its simplest form. And I said to them, it all starts off with 
how God created us. He created us in His image. And what, is that, what does that mean? It means that you and I have something of God in us. When I look in the mirror, I can't see anything. But what I know that God gave me is the ability, and you the ability to make a decision about who God is in my life. How am I going to look at God? Am I going to allow Him to be God or not? This is the story of Jonah. As I read the story, am I going to allow God to be the God of heaven and earth, or am I going to think about a small God that can't do these things? Because normally when there's a miracle, normally when something big happens, we try to find the excuse. It can't be true. It must be this or that or a story. It can't be true. How can God do this? My God can. And your God can. So what do we have here? I'm done. Short sermon today. Story of grace. But the Lord provided a large fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly three days. Three nights. The story of grace. Anybody would ask me up until this point, Ferdy, so what do you think is the message of the book of Jonah? I will say it's my story. And it's your story. It's a story of God that's calling us to serve Him and we run away every day and we do stupid things and we don't listen to Him. But it's a God that relentlessly pursues us. A God says, I, I'm, not, I'm not giving up on you. And then I say to God, as Moses did, God, I can't do this because I've got a speech impairment or I'm too weak or I, my faith is not good or I do not have great stories or God, you know, I do not know enough of the Bible. God says, I don't care for these things. I want to use you because you're my child and I've got a kingdom to build. And then as we still run away from God, all kinds of stuff will sometimes happen with us because we're in a world that is messed up and broken and full of storms and stuff. But in the midst of all of this, God is always there. And then when the crisis really hits and we fear we have lost it all, God puts His arms around us and He says, My child, why will I let go of you? Why will I let go of you? I've been involved in your life from the beginning. I've called you. I, I want to be known by you and I want you to know me in every sense. Why will I let go of you now? Story of grace. Story of grace that continues all the way to Christ. Christ that came with exactly the same message. Hey, God cares for you. God is pursuing you to such an extent that I had to come and tell you this. Oh, and so by the way, you can't really be saved without someone dying, and I will do that for you also. And all of this is God's work. It's for you. All I ask of you, believe who God is. Amen.